Welcome to this week's edition of Riff Raff News and we're going to be asking will flights to Rwanda ever get off the ground? And we're going to have a quick look at the water industry in light of the problems that have been experienced by Thames. So Sean, I thought we'd take a look at the big news of the week, hmm. um, it's mainly around uh, Rwanda and the Court of Appeals decision um, hmm. uh, that has branded um, deportation of um, migrants to uh, Rwanda as unlawful. Mm -hmm. um, why? Well, the court found that Rwanda, in, in their opinion, was not a safe third country, which is obviously a victory for campaigners and asylum seekers who had appealed the earlier High Court ruling, which you may recall, mm. which was from December, which said it was OK to um, move um, migrants off to Rwanda. Uh, Rishi was not at all happy. He had the hump. <laughs> no, I saw. Uh, I saw him. He was on a boat, wasn't he, I think? Or, uh, oh, that's appropriate, uh, yeah. isn't it? Uh, <laughs> he was bitterly disappointed, but respected the court's opinion, of course. He said he was going to appeal to the Supreme Court, which is the highest court in the land. Mm. And he believes that the Rwandan government have provided the assurance necessary to to ensure that there's no real risk that asylum seekers relocated there would be wrongly returned to third countries. And that's the crux of the matter, actually, which is somewhat misunderstood in all the noise. Mm. It's not that Rwanda itself isn't safe for them, it's that they might be, the migrants might be returned to um, third countries or indeed where they came from, where they yeah. might suffer persecution. Yeah. And this view was shared by the Lord Chief Justice but he was only one of three, and the other two judges um, said, no, um, we don't agree him. with you, and ruled against. That was an interesting night down the pub. Or, yes. or in the sherry bar, I would imagine, probably. As in the sherry down bar. The pub. Yeah. yeah, as I said earlier, the High Court had previously agreed that it, Rwanda was a safe country, uh, and in fact, something I didn't realise, that the UNHCR has its own refugee scheme for Libyan referees. And, referees? Refugees. <laughs> well, referees as well, maybe. <laughs> referees as well. Yes, yeah, some of them should be sent there. Yeah. Right? Um, uh, for Libyan refugees in Rwanda. So so that that was kind of interesting. And you think, oh, OK, well, if it's right for them, maybe it's right for us. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's a tough one. But um, do you get into a bit mm, of... Sorry, oh, go on, go on. Go on. No, I, was, I was interested when I was listening because I, I, I had the pleasure of being able to watch it live on, um, oh. on BBC One when they were, when they were showing the... Uh, when they came out to, to, to announce the decision. And it, it did suddenly strike me because it was, it was almost inevitable and all the commentators were saying after us, but it was almost inevitable, especially as it was a split decision... That, yep. that the government would take it to appeal, that would go oh, to yeah. Yeah, would go to the high court. Um, I the Supreme Court. I I, you know, the more I think about this, the more I think they. So the first court we go to, they say it was legal. You know, it's fine. The 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 appeal court now has said, no, it's not on a split decision. Yep. And and now they're now they're taking it to to the Supreme Court. Well, that's where we expect them to go. Which could be, yeah. it could be they reckon until September before it's actually heard. Yeah. yeah. It it does. It, and what they're also saying is, all the commentators were saying yesterday, between here and the Supreme Court, the government have got no further evidence to put forward other than that which they put forward to the to the appeal court. Well. 
I would sort of like to comment on that mm, because yeah, if go you ahead, look at the please, detail yeah. uh, a little bit, it's not a complete disaster for Mr. Sunak and uh, Mrs. Brabman, as there's a chink of light, if you want to look at it that way, as the judgment said that um, removing the asylum seekers to Rwanda was unlawful unless and until deficiencies in its asylum mm. process are corrected. So there's wriggle room on clarification mm. if the Rwandan government can prove that actually they are investing in resources and process. Mm. But the point... That, yeah, so we go on. But that's, that's the point, because this judgment is based on things as they were, not as mm. they could be. But, 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 but my, my head, my issue was that this is between two separate courts who've heard virtually the same evidence. It's so subjective... This is really yeah. nothing to do with there being any hard and fast law. They're setting precedent, but this is to do with if it goes now to the Supreme Court, it's to do with whether the judge, judges at the Supreme Court um, have the same view. It's got nothing well, not to do with what's no, different or what isn't. I mean, I take on no, board what you're saying. There what? are changes. No, there are changes. Because if you think about the pathway... I think it was in June last year, wasn't it, when the flights were, mm, they were ready haunted. to take off. Yeah. And based on whatever their evidence there, they weren't allowed to take off. And in December, whatever new evidence, they said, oh, well, they are allowed to go. Now they're not. But in September, if the Rwandan government is able to produce some evidence of better processes, better conditions um, for the mm. asylum seekers. So things do change. Um, well, the, the, back but, in, but maybe not yeah. that much, I don't know. No, well, back, back in June, they were stopped from taking off because of individual cases. So mm. it wasn't the principle. They were saying, as you quite rightly said, that the judges accepted at that point that Rwanda was a safe country to send uh, mm. asylum seekers to. But individuals on board that plane that they were going to send had made cases specific to them that prevented the flight taking off so well, that's why yeah, that's why it was stopped it's all about individuals this time around there were 10 appellants in the case mm. involved in this and they were from syria iran uh, vietnam sudan mm. albania and they all arrived by small boats so it's, it is the individual's cases that get heard but it can't uh, be each individual. It can't be each individual. This is a because it's a it's a broad judgment that says in general, yes, Rwanda isn't a safe place to send people back to yeah, because yeah, they may be okay, sent on. But it's yeah. brought on behalf of these individuals. Yeah, it's brought on behalf uh, of them. Yeah, just for a little bit of balance. Uh, mm. Not surprisingly, the Rwandan government has taken issue with the ruling. Describes itself as one of the safest countries in the world. Mm. Uh, so that's interesting for um and that wasn't the view of the home office a couple of years ago so no. that things have changed there um and you know um it it as i said earlier the appeal was based on the asylum process as it stood when the migrants were due to be deported in rwanda of june of last year so the the argument the rwandan government put forward is they've made significant improvements but obviously by verdict of two to one majority the judges didn't agree so that's where we mm. are that's mm. where we are yeah so yeah. The, uh, the appeal will have to will have to provide new evidence because you you can't 
you, know, well, you can't just ask people to change their mind. Can well, this you? is the whole. This is the evidence. whole argument that I was putting. All the commentators seem to be suggesting yesterday that it's exactly what they're going to ask them to do, to ask them to examine the same evidence and make a different decision, and and that would because it's a split decision that that could quite easily happen. So yeah, the, the, I, I, you know, I think the reality is that between now and then they'll come up with some new information, some new data. Uh, because that would be very high risk indeed. Mm. What? What? Uh, Just using com- yeah. common sense. I mean, I'm not dead, but I certainly haven't read this 160-page um, report that they've come up with the courts as to what their what what the decision-making process is. But do you, have you have you any inkling as to, in what you've read as to why it is they consider? Rwanda. I mean, we've heard because one of the arguments was made, wasn't it, that they've got Rwanda had this is in favour of finding it a safe place to send them to. That Rwanda had no extradition treaties with any of these countries yeah. that might be considered dangerous to send these people back to. So, um, if that is the case, what is it that these two judges felt? Uh, what? Why is it that they feel that it is a danger to send them there? Well, it's from what I'm hearing, it's very flimsy evidence. Uh, I think, is it Denmark have the same agreement? I think right. one of the reasons we we went down this route. Uh, but I think their evidence is very flimsy of how many cases they've processed. Let's, let's remember, because I didn't want us to lose sight of scale. Let's remember, we, we talked about it on this pod mm. uh, last year, that even if it had all been ticked off and approved... Uh, they've only got capacity for 200 yes, yes. Uh, migrants, yeah. or let's call them people, individuals at this stage. And that's in a hotel in Kigali. Um, uh, and, and just as a footnote, um, the cost for the taxpayer would be about £5,800 a night. Mm. Uh, and uh, presently, if you wanted to book into that hotel, it was £58 a night. So, uh, I should credit the source there of the evening standard. So, you know, that's the, that was the source. So that was a, f- a fair markup. And obviously last, last week as well, we heard beginning of the week that the if this thing does work, that the average cost per person would be £169,000. I thought, well, yeah. let's dig into that a little bit. That includes flights and, and the cost of the detention. Mm. Uh, and uh, a small matter of £105,000 per person paid to the Rwandan government, which is obviously the the business case for the Rwandan government wanting to do this. Yeah, some some Um, wag was calling it cash for bodies yesterday. Oh, my God. Which I think is, you know, in in the sense of um, what's happening. If you look at it hard-nosed commercial, which is obviously one of my sort of natural go-tos, You'd have to, out of five people presently trying to cross the channel on the boats, you'd have to stop two of them for this scheme to break even. Not mm. not be a winner, but to break even. Mm. So that's an interesting one. So I, mean, I, I let's step back from it all for a minute. Um, uh, we know that with capacity of 200, this was never about how many people could be moved out to Rwanda. It was mm. always about a deterrent uh, for people not to make the trip. Now, this looks like it's not going to go through. 
this mm. i mean my my instinct is that um this is going to be a, a no-no and in, and in any case when um the conservatives lose in the next election which we've obviously both predicted this is going to be ripped up anyway mm. so you do wonder uh what's the point other than it's one of his five priorities and he's got to be seen to be doing something it feels really weird and somewhat nasty uh, but I haven't got a the trouble is I haven't got a better idea it's and, red it's red meat yeah, isn't it red, it's red, it is red meat it, it is yeah, red meat, it is and, red meat. Yeah. and I would cut I would call you back to what you were saying just now because if you yeah. if you look at this in any logical sense yeah. You're, you're sat in, let's say, let's say you're an economic migrant. You're not yeah. really a, an asylum seeker at all. Yeah. You're an economic migrant. You're sat in, um, we won't say Albania because they've got a, an agreement with Albania now. They have now, yeah. But it, yeah. you're sat in, um, I don't know, uh, Libya. You're sat in yeah. Libya. You want to get to this country. And, yeah. and you've decided that Britain's the place you want to be. Um, you've got people you know over here and, and what have you. And and you you look at the figures in terms of how many people are crossing the channel each year. I forget how many thousands it was yes, uh, yesterday, last year. It was 40,000 odd or something, wasn't it? There's a few more, thing? I think. But, yeah. but anyway, there are thereabouts. Yeah, yeah, but it's going to get more. It's going to grow. There's okay. no question and, about that. And, and somebody says to you, you do know you could be one of a hundred of those who get sent to Rwanda. Yeah. Is that going to be a deterrent for you? You're the man in Libya. Uh, is that going to deter you that you might be one of a hundred out of forty thousand who I, gets sent to, to I'd Rwanda? I'd be surprised if they're first of all even aware of it. Um, yeah, and and then you know someone else might say, well, don't worry if they're very well informed because Mr. Sunak's going to be kicked out and um, uh, Mr. Starmer's going to reverse it anyway. But it's it's not for this pod because we're not trying to solve the immigration crisis. But there's allegedly a hundred million people on the move uh, for various reasons in in, mm. in all parts of the world. And yeah, I I don't know what the answer is. I really really don't um, because uh, that many people moving across that many borders mm. is just so difficult to control. Well. I, I'm not going to. I'm not as defeatist as you. In fact, in the sense that I don't think it's for us to resolve the problem. I don't think we we can resolve the problem in terms of hundreds of millions of people on the move. But we can look to what other people are doing in Europe in terms of dealing with the oh, issue okay. yeah. much quicker. Right. And we need to deal with the issue quicker and more effectively by giving those people in their own countries a system whereby they can make an application where they are before they even head off to this country so that yeah, you, that cut, you cut out then the whole the whole no no let me finish because the whole purpose of 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 their coming here is there's that there's there's no decision having been made before they cross the channel if we if we're adhering strictly to the ECHR ruling all this crap about they're being illegal they're not illegal until they've been processed we're sending people who are effectively covered under refugee rulings under the ECHR off to Rwanda before we've even processed them that's illegal we've signed up to the European Court of Human Rights we shouldn't be doing that so if we now allow them to apply in the place where they are originally then that decision has been made then we can just turn them around send them back send them wherever we want yeah but you're making the assumption that 
that the people who go through that process, you know, people who are aware of it, people who are able to fill in the paperwork, people who are able to get to a process to do it, uh, that no one else will try and come over the illegal route yeah, or and whichever yeah. route. But then you'll, you'll end up with both. And do you know how many, uh, what the percentage is of those people who are actually in in this country who eventually get refugee status? Yeah, it's 90%. Yeah, huge. So if you did that when yeah. they're in their own country, you'd have 10% of what we've got at the moment in hotels because they'd be able to come straight in without any oh. problems. If we wanted to do it, we don't want to do that because we're using this as red meat. We've not got any places where you can apply around the world. Okay. We've got a special deal for... We didn't have this problem with Ukrainian refugees, remember? They came straight in. There was no issue there whatsoever. I'm not <laughs> suggesting they should have been, but they came straight in. There wasn't... There was no waiting around straight in. Where there's a will, there's a way. And we've got to look to France and Italy and Denmark and Sweden, other countries who are dealing with this in a much better, more professional manner. We're, we're making a rob for our own back by doing this, in my view. Mm. Okay. Well, time time will tell. Um, I I just fear that we'll end up with uh, both uh, both um, those who come through safe and legal routes and others. I take what you say about the percentages, uh, but back to the case in question. I I, mm. I don't think we'll see a time when anyone will actually depart to Rwanda, uh, no. because I think at the end of the day. Uh, the Supreme Court will will back what the Court of Appeal have suggested. I wanted to have a chat, Guy, about um, one of the other major stories of the week, and that's the uh, Thames water controversy. Mm. If I just set a bit of context, and then maybe we can have a chat around it. So the, the, the lady uh, who prompted this I guess over the last week is the uh, ex-chief executive of Thames Water a lady called Sarah Bentley who stepped down ostensibly over uh, leakage rates um, through their pipes which were at a five-year or are at a five-year high um, she gave up her annual bonus over the company's recent environmental record which um, some people are saying was a bit of a uh, a false effort in the sense that she only joined Thames in 2020 and at that point she was part of a three million pound golden hello mm. um, tempted across from uh, seven Trent water so she's not you know she's not taken a, a real hit apparently her last year's bonus was half a million I say not a real hit it would be to any normal person but to her it, it's probably not a lot of money um Controversially, in recent months, she's repeatedly claimed that England's uh, largest water company, which is Thames, had been hollowed out over decades, mm. and uh, which is quite interesting. Which is um, coming on, which we will in a minute. Um, it's meant it's it, it, it's suspected this refers to Macquarie, who were the largest shareholder. Uh, in Thames, they're an Australian financial service company. Between 2006 and 2017, they've they've sort of got out now. Um, but during that period of time, they they built up Thames's debt to the point where it's now at 14 billion plus. Um, 
and also during that period of time they enjoyed returns of uh, 15.9% to 19% and they were in charge for 11 years so mm. I think that's where the accusation is being mm. levelled that they were actually um, borrowing to to uh, to pay for infrastructure and maintenance whereas the, the monies they were getting, getting in the profits they were making were going straight out in um, in dividends uh, and, and that's led to this particular problem with the chief executive has led to an examination of Thames's financial position mm. at the moment. Uh, they're adamant that they're financially secure, but half of that £14 billion worth of debt is linked to RPI. So <laughs> as RPI is going up and up and up, and this, this is affecting a lot of the other water companies, which again we'll, we'll come to on at the moment, um, that there's some doubt as to whether they're going to be able to have the finances to be able to meet their targets and also pay out to shareholders and remain solvent mm. as RPI goes up. Um, so that that's where we are with regard to them. In, the broader picture is the water companies, since they were sold off in 1989, you'll remember that, that was back during the Thatcher administration was it the major administration it might have been major actually I think it was major who sold major sold mm, the train Thatcher no, major 89 who was in power in 89 I think it um, was Thatcher Wasn't yeah the tail end of Thatcher yeah because she, she went did, through that period didn't she of, she won three elections didn't she mm. so that would have been 13-15 years how much do you think they were sold off for the, the total Ooh. water network well all water companies mm. oh, crikey I'm going to stab this in the dark um, well, uh, I'm going to say just a round figure, £100 billion. Pounds. You'd have to come much lower than that. Ooh, 50? Lower. No, oh lower. dear, oh dear. Se 25? Seven, no, 7.6 oh, billion. Gosh. 7.6 billion they were sold off for in 1989. Um since then, the water companies in England and Wales we're talking about now um, have paid out uh, 72 billion to shareholders mm. and have borrowed 53 billion for improvements in infrastructure uh, and, uh, and maintenance, obviously. Um, I think when we were discussing it before, I may have mentioned that England and Wales uh, are the only countries in the world to have a fully privatised yeah. water system. Yeah, yeah. Um, and since privatisation, charges to, as they, they say in, in a lot of the reports, charges to captive customers, which we'll come on to in a minute, have increased by nearly 40% in real terms. Um, interesting point here from Greenwich University, who said that between uh, 2002 and 2018, Scottish water, which stayed in public hands, kept real prices stable while prices in England and Wales rose 15% and during the same period Scottish Water invested 35% more per household than English water companies so yeah. that's an interesting comparison as well so to give some balance um, the Chartered Institute of Water and Environmental Management which is a snappy title, isn't it? Mm. I think that's a bit like, you remember we used to work under the auspices of the Chartered Institute of Bankers. Institute of Bankers, that's yeah. right. 
Well, these the, the, it, this is uh, ostensibly the umbrella organisation okay. that, that that covers okay. those people who work in the industry. They're quite um, uh, pro the industry, as you would expect. But what they've said is it's uh, uh, quite a long quote. But since privatisation, investment of nearly 160 billion has seen strong, steady improvement, giving customers world-class drinking water. Mm. Leakage, leakage is down a third since the mid-1990s. Two-thirds of beaches are classed as excellent compared with less than a third 25 years ago. And wildlife has returned to rivers biologically okay. dead since the Industrial Revolution. Okay. At around £1 a day, average bills are broadly the same as 20 years ago, taking inflation into account. According to Ofwat, they are around £120 lower than without privatisation and tough independent regulation. Customer satisfaction for water and sewage services is around 90%, and there is a high and there is high trust in water companies. Now, bearing in mind this was a statement that was put out before the recent uh, controversy yes. regarding sewage in our uh, at our beaches and in our rivers. I mean, the the river around here, the 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 river Froome, um, mm. when it's warm, it can give off quite a pong. To be quite honest, I don't know oh, whether right. you're close to close to water there. And there's uh, okay. this idea that um, there's been any wildlife return to it. I think is uh, is is risible. And I wonder how much of that wildlife return is the is the active work of of environmental groups as opposed to. But anyway, that's what they've said, and quite a divergence in how much money is going to be needed to sort the sewage disposal and outflows. Do you, want to have a, do you want to have a plump at what you think? Bearing in mind this is over the next 27 years they've been given okay. to do this. Yeah. Uh, um, now, I, I sort of seem to remember old Rory Stewart banging on about this because mm. he used to be an environment minister, but he, he said it was actually unaffordable. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plump for a, a, a silly figure, and I'm going to say $200 billion. Over 27 years. Not far off. Well, here we go. Not far off because oh. this is the divergence in, in assessment. Right. The Environment Agency, the, sorry, the Environment Department right. says 56 billion okay. over 27 years. Yeah. The House of Lords assessment says 260 billion. Oh, there you go. So, yeah. So, uh, I, would, I would guess it's probably somewhere yeah. in between but somewhere closer to the house of lords assessment i would have thought than, uh, than yeah the, it's yeah. it's it's a funny one because um i think what we have to accept as a nation is that in most cases we're reliant on legacy systems mm. uh, uh for instance that the the pipes that capture say foul waste and rainwater all merge into one in mm. most cases mm. And that when it rains, uh, and it rains hard, which might, it might not have done much in the last few weeks, but when it does, they have no choice but to uh, push um, those uh, the sort of excess waste into the sea. And that's not going to change overnight. Mm. And there's never enough money, is there? Because no, no one wants their water bills going up 100% to pay for correcting that. They'll say, no. well, actually, we'll put up... So you just have to accept that, and therefore, you know these tedious articles on you know I was swimming in a river and all these mozzits came out. Yeah, you know, I think I think 
let's let's be a bit more sensible. <laughs> so that's what are they call them now? They're they're freshwater. Are they freshwater swimmers or or deep water swimmers or something? They these ladies who dress up in in, um, uh, in rubber outfits and and splash around uh, in in the local know. river. Oh yes, yes. I'll come to me in a minute. Mm. I know what you mean. Yeah. And 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 you know everyone to their own. And of course, people should by and large be able to swim in clean water but let, let's be sensible so that you've got that debate but let's let's try and focus in on the current crisis because um i what what i do know is that the balance sheet of thames water is what they call 80 percent geared in mm. other words it's funded 80 percent by debt mm. and that i think for any business uh, you know, if you were a banker looking at it as a prospect of a company to lend to, you'd say, "Ooh, that's mm. worrying." Because in times of stress, you know, they can't like now they cannot reduce their outgoings. It's no different to having a very high percentage of your house on a mortgage. It's very uncomfortable when interest rates are rising. So there's that. I noticed there's a league table of uh, water company indebtedness, mm. and as you sort of go down the league table the norm is around the 60-65%, which still seems high, if I'm honest, mm. but not as bad. So I think that's the root of the issue. And as you say, with so much of their debt linked to RPI, which probably felt like a really good decision when it was 1%, yeah. but now is looking to be horrendous. And I was also reading that a lot of their debt is maturing uh, and maybe... So not only have they got a lot linked to RPI, but they'll also have some stuff at lower rates, which are now knocking on to mm. higher rates, as as we've covered. It's no different to domestic borrowers. So perfect storm, no pun intended. From, uh, from a businessman's perspective, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you've been involved in banking for many, many years. Yeah, and, I have, and yeah. I've had my Thanks. toe in the water on occasion. <laughs> oh, if very you, funny. <laughs> if you, yeah, there was a, something floating past yeah. when you had your toe in the water. But um, you've had your toe in the water for many, many years. And if you were looking at a, a, a borrowing for a company, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to fix your outgoing so that you had some sort of security in knowing rather than link it to RPI. That's very naive, isn't it, really? For Yeah, yeah, you would. Maybe maybe you'd take a basket approach where you'd have a proportion linked to RPI because sometimes mm. you can be a winner, sometimes you're a loser. But yeah, I agree. I mean, you, you want to know, broadly speaking, what mm. your fixed costs are going to be uh, so that you're not trying to manage massive swings. Um, the other point about the dividends that are being extracted, clearly, if the companies would remain in the public sector those dividends would be available mm. uh, to either reduce debt or to increase investment i guess they're the two things they could have done with it mm. so that would have been a good thing the only argument or one of the arguments of course against not you get it the right way around the argument for privatization is that um, in theory uh, firms have much better access to capital Mm. which is always constrained in the public sector. So fine, but it may, maybe not the case here if you've got um, a, a, a challenger in the Scottish mm. water model, which seems to be working. Mm. And what it, we can't do, we can't fact check this, but no. on the whole, I mean, what you can say is Thames water does look like it's in big trouble. Yeah. Here's a thought, because I was trying to work out when I established the amount that 
the water companies were sold off for, privatised for the yeah. seven point nine billion, as to given, as you quite rightly point out, that um, when many many years ago when we were younger, this has always been an issue with regard to water in this country. I mean, down on the south coast, there were outlet pipes. I mean, we we used to think it was a myth at one point, didn't we? That these were oh, outlet no, pipes near Shoreham yeah. Shoreham Harbour yeah. that were chucking stuff out into the water. Yeah. I was trying to I was trying to work out in my own mind how if they were selling them off for a seven point nine million a uh, billion, yeah. if yeah. that was considered to be a reasonably fair uh, price to allow these companies to make a good profit yeah. and pay their shareholders. Yeah. Yeah. Um where they considered that they'd be able to find the money to be able to make the investments to the improvements to the Victorian network that they've got at the moment. Now, I've come to the conclusion that that wasn't factored in when they sold these um, companies off and that the the reason that this is all... We're coming back to the Brexit argument here, but the reason this has all come to light is because water quality has been held to a higher standard because of European regulations and that's why all of this sewerage right. business has come to light right. because I'm, I'm pretty certain in my own mind they would continue as you were and continue and the public wouldn't have been any the wiser and they'd have maintained the network and invested a little bit in it but now they're because of public pressure understandably they're being told you've got to have a total overhaul of, of, of the network and invest far more than they yeah. thought they'd intended. And of course, yeah. Thames have put themselves in this dreadful position that they've leveraged, as you quite rightly say, heavily already. So there's no room for any no, further no leveraging no. To, to, to meet these requirements. Um, and, and so where do we go from here? Do you, do you think the... Uh, we, 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 we wouldn't suggest for one minute that... Um, they'd be alone, but there must be some fear that some of these companies will fail. Yeah, you've got the pack of cards syndrome, haven't you? Because you've mm. got the so you've got the, the money markets who not only trade shares but also um, trade debt and issue debt uh, or rather receive debt. So as you'd expect, if if this particular company's under stress, then the next cabs off the rank will be those close to this 80% gearing and they're mm. suddenly going to have to probably pay more for their loans as they renew. Uh, so so you've got to be careful that it doesn't have a domino effect. I, I'm sure the Chancellor does not want to have to nationalise the water no. industry because no. it would be another COVID, wouldn't it? It would be another energy crisis. We'd have yeah, to absolutely. borrow the money to do so. So um, he's got to be perceived, doesn't he, to be putting pressure on the yeah. water companies to come yeah. through. I mean, given them 27 years, so I suppose you could argue he's kicking the can down the road to a down degree. The road. Yeah. A, a, a little bit. I, I think mm. the the answer is that the the, the company, and, and I've heard they're doing it and have done it already, the company will have to go to its shareholders and ask for a capital injection. Mm. It's a big ask. If you hold some shares, you mm. know, whether it's yourself or in a pension fund, and I know a lot of them are owned by pension funds, if you hold some shares, are you prepared to put your hand in your pocket and throw good money after bad, as well, some might say? A lot would be thinking, how's the company been managed over the last um, 30 years to mm. get into this position, wouldn't they? And, uh, but I suppose it's a question of whether you, whether you risk... By not doing it, the, um, uh, the the option of losing everything, or whether you do it the other way around. 
you could get the Credit Suisse scenario where mm. the business ultimately fails and the regulator comes in and says, right, we'll take it over or we'll get another company to take it over because they could do that, I suppose. Mm. But we're going to wipe out the value of all shareholders and also certain classes of debt, which yeah. is unheard of. I should say, um, just to put this into context, that, that, that Thames um, are adamant that they have no financial difficulties and that everything is um, is totally under control. So um, yeah. just to put that I would say, I'd also, just as, and, and it's a different industry, but Credit Suisse was saying that for two years. Mm. So, Sean, in case you missed it, we've had quite an announcement from the World Health Organization, the WHO. Mm. Uh, was it yesterday? Because they reckon that the artificial sweetener used in products such as Diet Coke, for example, and thousands of mm. other goods... Uh, may, and it's important to say may, may cause cancer. Uh, so aspartame, or aspartame, depending on how you want to pronounce it, is the uh, offending product mm. and is expected to be classified as a possible car carcinogen in updated guidelines from the mm. home. Um, and I so say I mentioned it's, it's in Diet Coke, which is obviously a brand, but it's also in Diet Pepsi, chewing yeah. gum, Low-fat yogurts. I used to enjoy my low-fat yeah. yogurts. Don't have them anymore. Ice creams. Just about anything um, that has any artificial sweetener. Yeah. And it's, it's a bit cheeky, really, because you, you can buy something that says very low-calorie, uh, but to make it taste much sweeter, mm. in fact, 200 times sweeter than sugar, yeah. they put this aspartame in it. Uh, and so it Quiz question for you. When was it first manufactured? When? Uh, um, yeah, what I year? Th uh, I think it was the... Um, 91? 1965. Is it that long ago? Aspartame? Yeah. I Aspartame. didn't realise it was that long yeah. ago. I, I, Nor did I. I was, I was So, you know, it's just about our lifetime. Because we always used to have that worrying. dreadful saccharin. Do you remember saccharin? Oh, that was yeah. the stuff we had before. Yeah, a yeah, in a, they, yeah. I think they still yeah. do that. We, yeah. So anyway, uh, they reckon it's in 5,000 products globally. Mm. Uh, and the way it works is the sweetener is going to be introduced into the possible mm. category because they've got different categories mm. of, of, of things that cause cancer, known as 2B. Uh, and just for context... Substances such as tobacco and alcohol are in the first category, meaning very strong evidence mm. that they can cause cancer. So it doesn't mean they definitely will cause cancer, but there's a maybe possible. And um, I guess the, the thing, the, the, the watchword is to uh, to look at what you're mm. eating. Uh, it's been it's been in the news a lot recently, hasn't it? All these well, I um, think emulsifiers was the other thing, wasn't yeah, it? A week ago, I think the the, the, uh, the, the British yeah. um, authorities, the um, uh, retail consortium mm. people, have said that they yeah. they've tested it and think that it's perfectly safe, and and I think the European Union have as well. So the the World Health Organization are a bit of an outrider on this one in regard to aspartame, but then okay. there are okay. as we've discovered in the past the vested interests aren't that you know, if it's in that many products yes. and and that many countries are, are allowing it to be used in those products um, so yeah i think you're i think you're quite right but i i like that on occasion in my 
coffee as well. You can buy them in the little packets that you use instead of saccharin and just. Oh, them okay. In. Um, yeah. So. Well, it's, I think the thing the thing is is somebody said on the radio last week, which I thought was good advice, is if when you're looking at the ingredients of something, there's something you don't know what the heck mm. it means. And and I must admit, aspartame would have been in that league for me until I found out about this. Um, you might want to avoid it. Very <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> good advice. I'm I'm impressed. Yeah. We should bring on, uh, for a second opinion, we should bring on 30p Lee. <laughs> 30p remember, yes, remember him? Yes, indeed. Lee Anderson, I'll show you how to make a meal for 30p. Remember him? He's still around, isn't he? Still around. Well, he is, yeah. but he's, uh, those, I, I'd forgotten he was called 30p Lee, but he's talking about making everything from things you can you see, can, yeah. fresh ingredients. Yeah. But anyway, so it was just a thing. Uh, I thought that was, I just thought it was quite a huge announcement from mm. the WHO mm. for something that's obviously everywhere. So yeah, uh, absolutely. Food for thought, no pun intended. Um, I was going to mention, as it's sort of breaking news as well, this money that um, uh, Rishi and, and Steve Barclay mm. are talking about spending on the National Health Service in respect of yeah. training up new doctors um, over the next I think it's a five year plan isn't it so I understand uh, and it's uh, 2.8 billion I believe is the figure that they're spending over five years um, with some other ideas as well within this is it a white paper I think that they brought out isn't it with regard to yeah, uh, yeah I think it um, is yeah and uh, part of that that white paper is that doctors junior doctors no longer have to get a degree that takes five years it's now only yep. going to take four years so in theory they can get them through okay. the pipe quicker um and right. the, it's anticipated that they'll be able to fill the vacancies that they currently are in the system further okay. down the line it okay. doesn't help us in, with our current problems and more so there don't appear to be any um initiatives with regard to well they're in dispute aren't they with junior doctors any initiatives with regard to retaining or increasing the current workforce where there are shortages but um quite interesting this idea that you you can all of a sudden uh have a what was a five-year training program cut to four years and not have any significant effect on the standards that you expect when you go into hospital I don't know. Um, mm. I think you you picked up on something regarding dentistry as well in in this. Particular. Yeah, it's it's a big sort of bugbear of mine, particularly the grandkids. We just can't get them into a a, a NHS dentist anywhere around where mm. we live, anywhere, um, because they say they're all full, and and I just don't think that's right. But what 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 I just quickly read is that dentists sort of signing up now. Part of the contract will be that you have to. Uh, treat, uh, I guess, a proportion of your patients on the NHS. I, d I doubt they'd say everyone, uh, which um, which is which is fine. But I, I just we've said this on the pod before. There's something fundamentally wrong with the dentistry mm. contract mm. between the the government and dentists. In insofar as so many are now private only. Yeah. Well, I go. I, uh, you you do as well, don't you? I believe I go to a, um, a private only dentist. Um, yeah, pay a little bit yeah, a month. Yeah. And uh, not because I particularly want to, because I'd prefer to go no. NHS, but there are no 
NHS dentists around here. And I was, I was quite surprised actually when I first signed up with this particular practice. Um, in my ignorance, I, I assumed that, that most dental practices did some form of NHS work, but it's amazing now at, at how many don't that just won't touch NHS work, which I think is a bit, mm. I mean, as they're trying to highlight, I think you, you, you get trained within the British system and part of the quid pro quo for that ought to be, I think, that you, you know, you have to give something back. Yeah, I think the argument they, they make is that, and, and I haven't looked into this, but from, from recollection is that the um, per-treatment uh, remuneration mm. that you would get on the NHS doesn't doesn't cover their no. costs. Well, who knows? Who knows? But you'd hope, wouldn't you, that a proportion, at least for children, I mean, maybe not for adults, but at least for kids, because um, so, dental health is so much a part of... Um, oral mm. health sorry is so much a part of general mm. health that you're just storing up problems for the future I aren't think you what, you just what, yeah you just absolutely. are what we need uh, is an independent treatment review body which, which everybody signs up to <laughs> an independent treatment review body so you get a you get a, a a body of the great and the good together who are from the dental industry who set pricing with regard to each individual uh, each oh, individual right. okay. uh, treatment that you have and that way the, the the dental you know the dentists are involved themselves and the government are involved and they they um, much the same as they have with the independent pay review bodies everybody agrees at the end of the year and um, everybody goes off happy do you not think well, <laughs> apart from when Mr. Sunak says he might not honour it, yeah. Yeah, as I believe he, he, that's right. Yeah, most of the most time it <laughs> would honour it most of the time. In other words, when, when it's, it's like zero point two percent, absolutely or when it suits. But yeah, uh, but yes, I mean, I think I think everyone from what I've heard this morning, I think broadly universally welcomed, apart from the Labour representative who, who, who glibly said, yeah, good ideas, 10 years too late. <laughs> so that was praise indeed. Um, I guess you wouldn't expect much more from no. that. But um, yeah, keep an eye on it. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed Riff Raff News. Please leave some comments on the app or on our Facebook page. And uh, please subscribe and then episodes will drop automatically into your podcast feed.